Southeast Radio's morning mix. Southeast Radio. Born in South Armagh in 1950 to Eileen and Michael Malley, one of a family of six, four boys and two girls. Graduated from Trinity College Dublin in 74 in Gaelic and Spanish and also speaks French. Listen to this. He's worked for RTE, BBC, Downtown Radio, Cool FM, ITN, Channel 4, AFP, Today FM, IRN, NBC, CBC, BBC Radio Scotland, BBC Radio Wales, NPR, Sky and GMTV. Got to got all that out. Eamon Malley, good morning to you. Good morning to you guys down there in the southeast. I love your part of the country. I'm told you do, and straight away you want to give a plug to Billy Kelly and Kelly's Hotel because you've been coming there for the last 30 years. Is that right, Eamon? That is correct. We love that. Of all the places our children and now our grandchildren have ever been, Kelly's Hotel is number one. For you, Eamon Malley. Right, okay. Billy, you'd be delighted with that plug this morning. Look, the, the book is riveting. My wife hasn't seen me for the last two nights because I got dug into this book. And first off, as someone involved in broadcasting for 35 years, I really gravitated towards one chapter. I mean, I, 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 you set out the book, how you started, etc. was doubling down in discrimination because here were you, uh, born in South Armagh, Irish Catholic, going into a hotbed of unionism and Protestantism, and, and you suffered uh, quite a lot in your early years in broadcasting, Eamon. Yeah, the, I was very much resented. Number one, uh, maybe I had, there was a, I had a certain arrogance, whether, I, as I say in the book, whether it was well whether it was well based on uh, on 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 a security or insecurity, I still haven't rationalised that. But my accent militated against me, being born and murdered in South Armagh, and in many ways too, my education didn't help me, because quite often education unset unsettled certain people. But I met with a lot of hostility. Right. Uh, like one person once said. I will never work with a man from Cross Glen. Now, I didn't come from Cross Glen. I came from South Armagh, which is a big distinction between Cross Glen. We couldn't we couldn't stand Cross Glen. I was Silver Bridge. Charlotte Burns is our new president of the GAA. So uh, Silver Bridge and Cross Glen, like it's like Liverpool and Manchester United. They they animosity towards each other, you know. Yeah. But that's the sort of thing I encountered. This guy said to me. He said to he told people, "I will never work with a man from Cross Blood. Now, in fairness to that guy, he came back eight years later and apologised to me because he got to know me and I got I got to know him, and we had a very good working relationship and we respected each other. But at a distance, that was right. his immediate reaction. Now, you worked, I think, you went to, down, you, you, your journey initially, you, you tried RT, you went to BBC, you went to Downtown Radio, and that was really where you bedded down initially. But uh, there was a moment there when you felt that the prejudice against you was going to drive you out, and yet there was one, we all have mentors in our life, I've had them, one in particular has gone to God by now, but I'll never forget him. And uh, when the pressure was on, you need a mentor uh, that, that, yes. that gets you back on the horse again, and you found one because you nearly left Downtown Radio, didn't you? Yes. I handed a resignation to the to the director of programs, but there was a great man, and the great thing about him was too he was a he was a, a Protestant, left wing labour oriented Protestant from Ballycarry, who was the father of the chapel, the NUJ chapel in the place. And he walked in one day to a meeting, and he said, "Emma's my deputy," and that changed everything because he and I did all the negotiations for the members of the NUJ of journalists. Uh, workers. Um, that changed then. But despite that, uh, I found myself still having a bad time and I went to uh, to one of the senior people, uh, Don Anderson, 
who had a similar experience in the newsletter when he went to work in the Belfast newsletter. He had been teaching, he hated it. And when he went in there, there was a man on the desk, the only Catholic in that building at the time, because news, Belfast newsletter was a Protestant Unionist paper right. at that stage. And he used to refer to this man, Don Anderson, as the failed school teacher. Right. And Don said, I'll prove whether I'm a failed school teacher. And Don went on to become an international BBC reporter. And he said to me, Eamon, you're going nowhere. I handed him my resignation. You go down and put your head down and you rise above all these people. It was wonderful advice he gave me. And people like that, you need people like that when you're in a tight spot. People who believe in you. And Don was wonderful. And that's how I survived. And I had 30 very good years then. And I distinguished myself by all the scoops and stories that I broke over those years. And I worked for everybody. And in fact, the manager director said, Emma, listen, I'll keep you on on the same salary. Which, okay. Why don't you go out on your own? And that meant I could work for ABC, NBC and all the rest. But gave the same service to downtown radio. So it was a wonderful arrangement for you. I mean, I'd love to have an hour to talk to you, but I have a time frame and I have to get cut to the chase, as they say, and look at some of the stories you've broken, some of the people you've met. And I'm going to start with Bobby Sands because um, the chapter is chapter four in the book uh, and it's absolutely riveting. So... Uh, we have this vision of Bobby Sands. We have this picture of Bobby Sands. You met Bobby Sands. Where did you meet him? When did you meet him? What was it right. like? I met him in the autumn of 1979. It was after Manhattan and uh, and uh, the what, narrow water killing 18 soldiers. And I, I asked for a, a visit to the jail to meet a member of the UVF and a member of the Republican IRA community. And I, I had never heard of Rupert O'Shaughnessy. I had never ever heard of him. Uh, the person I was told I would be meeting was Rupert O'Shaughnessy, and a man called Dowd uh, from, from Portadown, a Protestant. I met the Protestant man uh, affiliated with one of the uh, loyalist organizations, and then I was access to this man called Rupert O'Shaughnessy. And there was one Robert, Bobby Sands. I cannot begin to paint the picture of what he looked like. He was gaunt, long, lanky, greasy hair. He was skin and bones, and his eyes kept darting left and right. Now, he had been on on, on what they call uh, the sticks of the blocks, I think, you know. He had been in isolation. He clearly uh, was a very, very uh, worried man, I suspect. He was under an awful lot of pressure because he was involved in a protest. Uh, so he was in an absolute mess. But from the moment I walked in, he didn't speak one word of English, and I was there for almost an hour. His Irish was impeccable, and fortunately, I was an Irish student. I did Irish in Trinity College, so I was able to converse in great detail with him in Irish. But it caused a real flap, because as we spoke in Irish, the guards who were around, the, the prison officers who were around, they, some of them scattered because obviously they wanted a way to find somebody uh, who could speak Irish, who would understand Irish. Now, there was a sequel to this. Some years later, I was at an Ulster Unionist Party Council meeting in Belfast, and this big man came up to me. And he said to me, I remember you, you used to meet in the base prison and carry messages into the IRA. He said, you, you met Bobby Sands. Yeah. I saw you there. You caused a flap because you were speaking Irish to him. Yeah. And I said, sir, 
I want you to come over in front of anyone in this, and, and confront anybody in this room. Come with me and say what you've just said in front of anyone in this room, because that's highly defamatory, slanderous what you've just said, because that is a total and absolute lie. That was the only time I was ever in the mayor's prison, and I asked for a meeting right. with the UVF man and IRA man, and now you make this serious allegation. But it just goes to show you what perception is and how dangerous perception can be. But I went places where others didn't go, because that's the sort of journalist Right. I was. I was inquisitive. I wanted to know why are these protests taking place? Uh, Cardinal O'Fee also uh, comes into the book uh, and the protest and the hunger strike in 1981 and, and you speak highly of him and you speak of his bravery. Would you like to tell me why? Well, he was an, a consummate a consummate pacifist, Sophie. He's very misunderstood. And do you know why I think he was misunderstood? He was rather careless with his language, which was quite remarkable. He's one of the finest brains I've ever met. He was brilliantly articulate, but he talked about the lads in the prison. He said the lads should be out playing football on a lovely day like the, that day when I was in there. Now, that, that, that was a, uh, the lads, uh, that was a parochialism in South Armagh for the, for, for the IRA. They were referred to as the lads. And Ophie used that term. Well, it, it, it was a, a hostage to fortune. Yeah. It, the, 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 the Protestant Unionist community just went mad. But there was an extraordinary moment. The Pope was supposed to come to Armagh, the ecclesiastical centre of the Catholic and the Protestant church, churches in Ireland. And Ophie was sitting in the Vatican with Archbishop Marquinkos, who was uh, the Pope's chief travel hitman. And they were planning the visit to Armagh. It was going to be a huge visit to Ireland, but it was going to be centered in Armagh. And the Cardinal got a phone call during his meeting and his conversations with Marquinkos. And he went to the phone and he was informed that... uh, Earl Mountbatten had been killed at Mullochmore and a number of other people in his boat in, a, in an IRA bomb attack. He came back and he told McKinkus what has happened. Later he got a call to say 18 British soldiers have been killed at Narrowwater near Warren Pint in a double bomb attack by the IRA. And he said to McKinkus, I'm going to have to spend some time ringing home yeah. to find out what the atmosphere is. He was meeting the Pope the next morning. And by the time he met the Pope, he told the Pope, this visit can't happen, he said. Uh, I've been, I spent all night on the phone consulting with my fellow priests in, in Northern Ireland. And they said, the atmosphere is so poisoned, it would be dangerous for you to come to our man. Do you know what the Pope said to him? Isn't it all the more important that I should go? He wanted to defy Ophie, but he didn't come. But it was an extraordinary moment, uh, okay. uh, Ophie, Ophie told me, you know. Can I take uh, one or two more chapters, uh, our talking points, before we round off our chat with you and just advise people, I witnessed to War and Peace as a riveting book, and if you, like me, pick it up, you'll find it very hard to put down. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, so after Warren Point, after the hunger strike, etc., uh, after what happened in Gibraltar, and I, I don't have time to go into Gibraltar, but it all interlinks, um, Margaret Thatcher took an instant dislike to one Eamon Malley. Can you tell me why? Yes, um, well... When the Anglo-Irish Agreement was signed in 1985, uh, Ian Paisley and his people were ranting outside and they were threatening all sorts of consequences because of the Anglo-Irish Agreement. And uh, I got the microphone during the press conference with Gary Fitzgerald and herself in Hillsborough Castle, and I said, let me put something to you. From the first day of my coming to work in, in Belfast, the war cry in unionism was, Ulster will fight and Ulster will be right. 
MPs is outside the gates there uh, shouting loudly at the moment. Will you stir down unionism and loyalism? And she said, she paused and she looked down at me and she said, the right honourable member's question doesn't surprise me. She for a moment thought she was in, in, in Parliament, in the Houses of Parliament. Mm. And Tom King, the, her, her uh, Secretary of State, was heard to say, to call anybody but Mali honourable. Then in 1981, she came to Northern Ireland and she alleged that the hunger strikers were playing their last card uh, by killing themselves in jail. In 1983, she came back and I interviewed her on a one-to-one interview. I said, when you were here in 1981, you alleged that the IRA were playing their last card as a result of hunger strikers dying in jail. Since then, I, Jerry, I said, Jerry Adams is MP for West Belfast. They have had two uh, hunger strikers elected in the Irish Republic, and Bobby Sands was elected for Manasseh Tyrone. Do you still think, do you still think that they played the last card or they were playing the last card? And she went mad, and the, inter- the interview ended very quickly. And when I left the room, she said to, to everybody who was there, including the PA correspondent, Derek Henderson, a friend of mine, she said, what a horrible man. And after that, Ingham, her director of communications, wrote a note to her recommending that she should cease doing one-on-one interviews with uh, television and radio reporters, especially suspect journalists like Mali of Downtown Radio. And if therein, when she came to Northern Ireland, yeah. she didn't do interviews. She just allowed the cameras to follow on. So that was my experience of Margaret Thatcher. But when, when, when the Brighton bombing happened, and I woke up and heard that she'd escaped the bombing, I said a prayer of thanksgiving that she wasn't killed. Had she been killed, one just doesn't know how many people in Northern Ireland might have died as a result of that. And the interesting thing, we had a woman working in our house at that time from Donegal Road, a Protestant woman, and she was a great barometer for me against which to measure the mood in the Protestant Unionist community. I was really keen to hear how the, the, attempted on, the attempt on the life of Margaret Thatcher would have gone down in the Protestant Unionist community. And this woman said to me, you know, Eamon, I heard a lot of people saying in our area, it's a pity they didn't get there, bitch. I was shocked. But you see, the, the working class people had an awareness of what she did to the miners yeah. and what she did in signing and ha- that special relationship with Charlie Hawley okay. in Dublin. And that's why they too hadn't that much sympathy with Mrs. Thatcher. I have to conclude, and as I said, uh, the only thing I can advise people uh, is to pick up a copy of your book, Eyewitness to War and Peace, which is full of little anecdotes like you're sharing with me. But the only way I can conclude is by your dealings with Ian Paisley. And I have picked out page 202 and I'm just going to read very briefly a paragraph from it I continued to push him, quoting statistics I pointed out that out of 330 social houses in Dungannon that had become available, not one had been given to a Catholic, I reminded him that in a city like Derry, where there was a majority of nationalists, the unionists had held 62 seats and the nationalists just 32 due to gerrymandering as Paisley retreated into his snug after that session, I said to my son Michael that we would have to talk to him, I felt the last hour had been a waste of time that I was getting very little back. So by way of conclusion, Eamon, you're dealing with Ian Paisley and how you, uh, this Catholic from South South Armagh, found yourself in a position where you did a one-on-one documentary spread over four months. Are you there, Eamon? Yes, I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. so your, your dealings with Ian Paisley. 
Yes. It was remarkable. From the first day of my knowing him, we hit it off. It was just one of those very strange, unusual situations. And I, I arrived at his house. He opened the door. I said, sir, uh, uh, I'm Emma Malley. He said, where do you come from? I said, South Armagh. And I said, would you do an interview with me? Of course you will. I said, um, why wouldn't I do anything to you? I said, it's not maybe because I came from South Armagh. I said, oh, come on. He said, why do you want to ask me? And off we went. And from that moment onwards, until the day he died, he gave me the he gave me his exclusive life story at the end of the day. He wouldn't give it to anybody else. The BBC had a, had a path worn to his door, but they couldn't get him. And he agreed to do it. And we had the most extraordinary experience. And when we were, when we were interviewing him, you wouldn't believe what happened. Our cameraman collapsed, and we thought he was dead. And we laid him out on the floor. My, my son and I, who was the producer, we laid him out on the floor. And Mr. Paisley put his hand over him uh, to, to console him. And, and we thought he was dead. The, the ambulance had been sent for him. Mr. Paisley was trying to get water into him. It was pandemonium. And the next thing, he kicked in. He kicked it back into life and said, push that button, push that button. It was an extraordinary moment. And then on the way home, yeah. I fell in one day, ended up in the royal. And a priest was uh, talking to a man across the floor in the, in, the, in the ward where I was. And he was heading for my bed, I thought. He swung right. And the next thing, the phone rang. And it was Ronda Paisley, and she said, Dad wants to work with you, Eamon. Paisley came on the line. He said, Eamon, why, why are you in hospital? And I told him I, I fell ill. And he said, OK, Eamon. He said, say a prayer. And he <laughs> prayed for me down, down the line. The priest walked away from the bottom of our bed, and Ian Paisley was now on the telephone. Right saying a prayer for me. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. You couldn't make it up. Pure theatre. Did he uh, give any admittance to you? I mean, I don't want to spoil the book for people, but there's some very strong admittances within the chapter of your dealings with Paisley, particularly egged on by his wife. Uh, I think there was an admittance. Um, oh, sure. it, was quite, it was quite remarkable. He, he was building moats and fortresses around him to, to admit nothing about the civil rights and the abuses in Northern Ireland. And he was accusing uh, the civil rights people of being front for United Ireland. And uh, it was, and his wife, his wife who was sitting behind me just intervened and she said, look, dear, she said, just... Just say it, she said. There was wholesale discrimination against uh, Catholics in Northern Ireland at that time. It was an extraordinary moment. And he looked at it, he said, Mom, Mom, I'm doing the interview. And that's when I, when, 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 when the interview ended, he went into his room and I said to Mrs. Paisley and Rhonda, listen, I'm going to speak to him. And that's when I went into him and said, you wasted my time today. You built bridges, uh, built moats and fortresses around yourself. And you, and you asked me to do this. Thing. You invited me to do this. I was called to your house because you wanted to do your interview. And I came here and, and you just sat there stonewalling me. And I said, all right, we'll do it again tomorrow. Maybe it was frosty the next morning. But he said, he, he admitted it all. And he said, and those, he said, who put their shoulders to that, he said, must bear the brunt of what happened at this place. They said, brother against brother. It was an extraordinary moment. I thought that was going to be the scoop of, 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 the, of all the interviews. But my God, when he told me how the church killed them off and how the party killed them off because of his friendship with Martin McGinnis, it was extraordinary. The Chucker brothers, they killed them off because of that friendship. They couldn't, they couldn't, stick, they couldn't put up with it. What okay. an amazing story, though. What an amazing journey you've shared with us this morning. The book is called Eyewitness to War and Peace. Thoroughly enjoyed talking to Eamon. And when you're next in Kelly's Hotel in Rosslare, pop in and say hello to us in South East Radio. We'd love to meet you. Good morning Don't to you. Bye-bye. Good morning. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Southeast.